Welcome to Sacred Intersections Podcast, where we navigate the twisty roads of harmful theology, mental health, and religious abuse. I'm Jill. I'm an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA with training in pastoral care and counseling. And I'm Paula. I'm a licensed counselor, a counseling professor, and a person of Christian faith. So as we're getting started, we just want to say that Sacred Intersections Podcast is about respectful discussion and conversation to encourage you to think. We're not trying to make you think like us. We just want to make you think. That is our agenda. Neither one of us speaks on behalf of the Presbyterian Church USA or other organizations which we may be connected to in our professional lives, nor do we speak on behalf of all mental health care professionals and practitioners, people of faith, Jesus followers, white women, Americans, or people who are tired of Zoom meetings. Oh my gosh. I'm so tired of zoom meetings. Preach it sister. Which is very ironic as we're sitting here looking at each other on zoom, on a zoom meeting. To record this. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, that's true. We don't speak on behalf of people who are tired of zoom meetings because I can imagine that would encompass way too many people for us to speak on behalf of. Yes. All the, and we'll also say we are very grateful for all of the blessings that the technology of the Zoom platform provides. Yes. Feel free to toss us a sponsorship if you want to anytime. Absolutely, Zoom. Offer us a sponsorship. <laughs> After we just spoke so highly of you. <laughs> so tired of you. But still, we're still very grateful for you. See, that's the nuance of this podcast, that we can be grateful for Zoom and tired of Zoom at the same time. That's an intersection that makes sense in 2021. So anyway, to continue our introduction, dear roadies, <laughs> Sacred Intersections <laughs> is a podcast that includes discussion and conversation about religion and spirituality and mental health and all the ways they intersect. Because we were already having these kind of conversations between us and we just decided it would be fun to record them and share them with you. So we are really glad you're along for our journey, even if you're traveling different roads or traveling different ve- driving different vehicles than we are. So what road are we driving today, Jill? Well, we thought that it would be um, an interesting opportunity to talk about the concept of cancel culture. And I'm, for, for our roadies who can't see me, I've got my arms crossed in an X doing like a, like a game show. So yeah, cancel culture. This was your idea. And as soon as I heard it, I said, yes, I want to talk about that. Yeah, well, and maybe it is the pandemic and the ways in which our consumption of things digitally and things like that are, are, are brewing. And so we're hearing a lot about it more, but there's a lot of stories about cancel culture. And I think there's a lot of different ways of thinking about it from a lot of different perspectives. So I'm excited to talk about it and get into it. Uh, Before we get there, wanted to send out uh, another series of thanks to Emma for being our guest a couple episodes ago and talking with us. We have gotten some of the most amazing feedback from that episode. Mm. Just really meaningful emails and messages that many of you have sent us about how you just heard your story reflected in ways that maybe you haven't heard before or learned something that maybe you hadn't heard it in quite that way before. So 
So thank you again to Emma for truly gracing us with her presence. That was, I think, really educational for all of us. But yeah, yeah. Most and we have some new countries that have shown up on our data, Jill. I love that. Where, where, who are we welcoming, Paula? Hungary has shown up on our dashboard, Malaysia, Thailand. So I don't think we've I like the cuisines them. of all of those places. You what? I like the cuisines of all of those places. I do too. Well, I don't know that I've had a lot of food from Hungary, but I think I would like it. Hungary and Malaysia and Thailand. We're glad you're here. We also have some new states to welcome. Uh, Alaska and New Hampshire and friends. It Drum took so long. Yeah. We finally got New Jersey. Welcome my home state. Welcome. It is about time and we're glad that you're here. Yes. So cancel culture. Cancel culture. Jill, when you hear that term, what do you think of? Well, um, why don't I read? I went to uh, our old faithful, not dictionary.com, but urbandictionary.com. That's usually a much better breakdown. Yeah. I don't know if we've divulged a ton to our listeners about our ages. Um, I'm not a millennial. <laughs> I'm even further from being a millennial than Jill is. Um, and um, I am also the least hip person that I know. Um, You're not the least hip. Anyways, Urban Dictionary often informs me of what the cool kids are talking about and helps me understand things that I often miss. There's a hysterical story about my unfortunate misuse of the phrase Netflix and chill that... <laughs> Um, you know, maybe we'll share at some point in time, but you know, I would love to be a cool kid. I am not. So I'm grateful when urban dictionary can help me understand. So to read the UrbanDictionary.com definition of cancel culture, and this was posted in August of 2019, just mm-hmm. for some, some context, cancel culture is a modern internet phenomenon where a person is ejected from influence or fame by questionable actions. It is caused by a critical mass of people who are quick to judge and slow to question. It is commonly caused by an accusation, whether that accusation has merit or not. It is a direct result of the ignorance of people caused communication technologies outpacing the growth in available knowledge of a person. And the example given is, sadly, he was a victim of cancel culture. Hmm. That that, is an interesting definition. What do you think of that? Yeah. Well, so I am very interested because I think there's a myriad of ways to look at cancel culture. So I see one way in which cancel culture is sort of the masses reacting to something I appreciate the whole internet phenomenon because I definitely think that's a important contingent. And I think that the pandemic um, of which we are marking a year of uh, being in under the influence of the pandemic, living through the pandemic um, has really expounded the ways in which we consume media and online content. And so we're hearing about a lot of cancel culture and some of it has to do with people who are being canceled when they are accused of things. 
And then there's also this, like, it's a thing that happens to famous people in my mind. And so it's a TV star or a movie star or a person of influence who is accused of doing something wrong or who does something wrong. And when the accusation comes out, it's like, okay, no, we can't. Nope. You're canceled. You don't get to do any of these things anymore. And like, I mean, we could, this could be an episode made up entirely of billboards because it's so rooted in the concept of, of pop culture. But I also think that cancel culture, that there are ways in which groups of people will say, you used to agree with us, but now you disagree with us. So you're canceled. You're out. No, thank you. So there's, there's a lot. And I think it comes from all sides of the political and social spectrum. I think a lot of times cancel culture is talked about by conservative people who will say like liberal snowflakes who are, you know, canceling this and canceling that. And I'm so sick of the cancel culture, like the urban dictionary definition that said he was a, sadly, he was a victim of cancel culture. But I feel like there's also the reverse of that, where when you're not conservative enough to be a part of the conservative group, there's some cancel culture there as well. Yeah. When you first brought up the possibility of this being a topic for the podcast, those are similar places to where my mind went. It's in, as I've done more research for this episode, it's been interesting how my definition has expanded a little bit, but the, the first thing that came to mind when you talked about doing this episode was the phrase I've heard a lot, which is cancel culture versus accountability culture. And the accountability culture is really different from cancel culture. So cancel culture, I think of very much like the definition you read where someone messes up in some way publicly um, or something is brought to light from a public figure and people get really upset about that and people are just like done with you nothing you can say to come back from this you should lose your job you should be off whatever show you're on um you know that kind of thing versus this idea of when someone messes up and legitimately like, or I think where we've, it's interesting that this is coming off of our episode last week, um, our second episode specifically on racism in the church, because where I think I've seen this a lot in pop culture is someone says something that's perceived as racist or flat out is racist. And then there's a, oh, they're canceled versus no, they need to be held accountable for what they said. And they need to understand the impact of that. And that doesn't mean that they, we can never see their face again. And so it's interesting that definition was from 2019, because I think even since then it's evolved to where, as you said, someone's saying like, oh, they're just canceling that person and they're just not tolerant at all. And they're not willing to hear another perspective. And it's like, no, this is different from calling someone cancel culture is different from calling someone out and yeah. saying you're a public figure who represents something. And therefore you should be held accountable for what you're representing and what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you that it's mostly public figures, but it's been interesting to me to kind of think about how this has looked on a smaller scale. I don't know what it might look like for teenagers, you know, and how someone from a high school could get canceled very publicly on Instagram. Like, is this the new bullying? Is there, is this happening in that way as well? So I don't think that's what we're going to be talking about so much, but I do think that's interesting to think about how this could happen on a much smaller scale, similar to the way it plays out in huge pop culture 
more yeah. public. That's kind of when I think about it. That's what came to mind for me. Yeah. So talk a little bit about if we hop on the mental health road, will you talk a little bit about what you would see when we're thinking about cancel culture from a mental health perspective? Yeah. And that this is where looking at it and thinking about it from all those different angles, there's a lot of different, since it sounds like there's a lot of different quote, cancel culture, air quotes, um, and accountability culture roads, it kind of depends on what we're talking about as for how this might show up from a mental health perspective. So, all right, roadies, I'm going to ask you not to judge me when I say this. <laughs> I can't remember. I don't think I've talked about on the podcast, but I am a longtime watcher of the reality show, The Bachelor. Have I shared that with our roadies, Jill? I know I've shared it with you, but... I know that you have, and I love that about you. And oh, you don't love that about me, but that's okay. <laughs> no, I just I love I love it because I it it's one of the many reasons why you're more hip than I am. Um, <laughs> I I love your uh, devotion to it and the way that you absorb that particular culture. So it is a this- way that I am multi layered. <laughs> yes. Yes. No it's, judgment at all. Well, for our roadies who I know there's some of you out there who are judging me right now, but it started out, the show started when I was a young single woman in my twenties. It sounded like a fun way I was dating. It sounded like a fun way to watch a dating show. So I feel like I kind of grew up with it in a way um, in my adult life. And it, it continued to be just a place of fluffy fun for me, you know, being a counselor and absorbing a lot of difficult stories all day. It was a place that I didn't have to think and just could kind of release. And what has happened more recently is that it's become examined from a social justice perspective in a much different way, as it should be, because it has a lot of issues with how with the lack of diversity um, in many ways among the contestants and the leads and the production team. And then when they do have, for example, contestants of color, how they're not always given fair edits or how they are edited or how their stories are, are not necessarily reflected in, in nuanced ways, which, you know, it's reality TV. So that's true across the board, but it's gotten a lot of very fair and valid criticism. And so my love for it has kind of shifted from being just fluffy fun to like, oh, this really is a microcosm of what's happening in our culture and the issues that they're struggling with and the things that they're being accused of. And don't worry, this isn't a podcast on The Bachelor. We've got lots of examples of cancel culture. Some of you may be aware that Chris Harrison made some statements that were perceived as racist. I thought they were racist. And a lot of people, right? This is the host. Yes. The host, the one kind of constant face of the franchise. And you can go look, we'll put links to the interview that where he talked about things that were perceived as racist. And out of that, he, people really he received a lot of criticism, which I thought was very fair. And he voluntarily stepped aside. We don't know at this point what that means for his future with the franchise, but he stepped aside. We're not sure if he's going to continue. But then a very conservative spokesperson kind of got a hold of this story and shared it and started kind of decrying, crying, cancel culture, cancel culture. He's being canceled. He's being canceled. He messed up or even maybe didn't even mess up and and deflected a lot of the conversation around why what he said was problematic to 
the person who was interviewing him, who happens to be a woman, a black woman, who was the first black bachelorette, who has always received a lot of hate in this franchise. And, and it's just been interesting to kind of watch that, that narrative play out. And so that's kind of a long description to get us when we think about the mental health road, like that example, I feel like is really different than say, maybe Michael Jackson, you know, or Dr. Seuss now, even, you know, Michael Jackson, of course, being accused multiple times of child abuse, child sexual abuse. And the question now of, do we listen to his music or not? And do you want to talk about Dr. Seuss and like, what's just to throw out a few examples of what we mean when we're talking about this phenomenon? Yeah. Yeah. So there's a a read across America day is what I understand is a day that's celebrated in like preschools and elementary schools. And it's intended to be a day when lots of authors are celebrated and encourages literacy in children. And it happens to fall on Dr. Seuss's birthday, the birthday of Theodore Geisel. If I just pulled that out, we're definitely keeping this in the episode. <laughs> That's a miracle. Um, so re- the folks that sort of sponsor Read Across America are um, sort of tried to bring in some additional authors rather than just focusing on Dr. Seuss this year. And that coincided with the estate of Dr. Seuss, the family that publishes the books, choosing to take six Dr. Seuss books, six of them, one, two, three, four, five, six, out of, is it hundreds? Like It's a whole lot. It's a lot of books. And they said, these six books are a little bit problematic. And so we are going to stop publishing them. They have racist imagery. Mm-hmm. Yes. And like people lost their minds. Oh my goodness. And I hear a little bit of judgment in my voice, but it was fascinating to me the ways in which it was pulled out that Dr. Seuss is being canceled. How can we cancel Dr. Seuss? The Grinch, the cat in the hat, green eggs and ham, none of which were on the list of books that are not being published any longer. And to me, that doesn't fit what we have talked about as cancel culture, because it was the the estate and the family of the man that was Dr. Seuss saying, we're just going to take these ones and maybe set them aside because we find them a little bit problematic. So no one sort of called Dr. Seuss out about this. It was, it was a internal decision and there have been a lot and this was within the last month would you say maybe it's very recent or I've started to see it trending uh and it just is fascinating to me the ways in which like I even think I heard a congressperson in that there was a debate in the house about I think about the the COVID relief bill that was being debated and someone a congressperson yelled about like, you'll cancel Dr. Seuss and you won't take care of people when they're sick. Or like, I'm not giving this a fair representation at all, but there's a lot of hate thrown towards more liberal leaning people for canceling Dr. Seuss. And it was such a 
misinformation thing. And I think it's really important that we keep that in the understanding and the definition that we are not always depending on facts when it comes to this. It's someone's perspective or someone claiming something. And so there's all kinds of things that we have to get into and about, you know. Yeah. The phrase has been weaponized to it, to a degree. So there's this road of people who legitimately mess up sometimes very publicly and are fairly called out and then have to kind of go through that process publicly of perhaps having some consequences of or have or asking to be held accountable. And I'm sure there are people all across the continuum. I'm sure there are people who say, I don't ever want to see Chris Harrison again, period, no matter what. And then there are some people who say he should come back next week. He hasn't done anything wrong. And Mm -hmm. then there's a whole lot of in between of Mm -hmm. like, maybe if he, maybe this is a great opportunity for him to show he's educating himself and come back. So there's, there's the people, there's the places where we can agree. I don't know if we can even agree anymore, but I would say generally agree that something has happened that someone needs to apologize for, or at least we can agree that there was something wrong in the way it happened. And then there's the people who have false things made up about them or said, and people kind of weaponize this cancel culture to truly take someone out, which I've heard recently happened to a colleague of mine, um, where other, some other people in her um, professional community started just legitimately on social media spreading misinformation intentionally to take this person out. And then there's kind of this Dr. Seuss thing that I feel like you're talked about where like this didn't happen, like the canceling wasn't happening, but we can create a victim by saying Dr. Seuss is a victim of cancel culture. Right. Yeah. And so So there's lots of different, so when we say we're talking about cancel culture, there's lots of different, even perspectives by which road are we talking about? Right. Well, and I think, I think just with so many other things, there's a lot of ways in which the way you, your worldview, the way you look at what's going on around you is going to define how you weaponize that term and who you weaponize it toward. I think with misinformation, particularly, we had mentioned just before, you know, who are you going to believe? Um, and where are you where are you getting your facts? And an interesting place where I've seen cancel culture um, is the, um, the interview that Oprah did with Prince Harry and Meghan Markle, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, uh, a week or so ago. And all of the ways that people have responded. And there's a British morning host, Piers Morgan, who was particularly racist in refusing to believe the Duchess of Sussex, Meghan Markle, about the things that she was saying. And he left the show and no one is really sure if he left of his own will or if he got canceled and the ways in which that. And so like, how, how do we, uh, how do we take in all of our information and who do we believe? How do we support people in being believed? Like I can imagine a huge mental health impact if you are the person being canceled, whether it's deserved or not, there's defensiveness, there is, and maybe deserved isn't the right term, but whether you're being held accountable for something or accused of something, yeah, a difference there, but. Yeah, I think there, there's certainly a wide variety of reactions, of course, would be normal, but 
Yeah, I can imagine it's going to be a really different experience if you are experiencing accountability or being called out publicly for something you actually did versus something you didn't. Yeah. If someone's, I mean, it could happen to us, you know, we have a very small platform right now, but still, you know, it, someone could take a clip of us saying some things for an example and completely misrepresent that. And it would sound like we've said some pretty terrible things, or we may actually mess up and say some pretty terrible things sometime that then we would need to be called out about. We may have done that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I will share an interesting story. I do not know how this occurred. Like I'm not altogether sure that we are a big enough podcast to make this happen, but I was scrolling through a social media. I think it was Instagram and one of the mental health accounts that I followed started talking about the ways in which they said, I've heard it said a lot recently that therapists are paid friends, which I feel like is something I said in our very first episode, everyone needs a paid friend. And I love that phrase. And they like went on this big diatribe about how therapists are not your friends. And that's an important boundary. And like, I will confess, I did a little bit of an eye roll because I was like, well, you didn't get what I was really trying to say. Not that you were responding to what it is that I said, but like that was an experience of like, oh, like people could say, oh, well, they don't know what they're talking about. If you think that therapists are paid friends, I would like to say that I have a good understanding that whom you see as your counselor might not also be your friend, (laughs) that there are professional ethical boundaries there. I think I was trying to make a different kind of a point and here I am defending, like here I am practicing the mental health of defending myself. So there's all sorts of things, but yeah, but it's yeah. interesting. I remember that. I remember being like, oh, we need to explain that even <laughs> like I kind of had that reaction from just the, we need to be sure our listeners understand the ethics. But even though I knew exactly where you were coming from with that, but I think that's a great example of yeah, someone could take that and really try to discredit us and our background and our understanding of mental health and our understanding of counseling and all of that stuff. Um, right. So so wouldn't it be funny if our cancel culture episode gets us canceled? <laughs> we're not shooting for that, roadies. Yes. We're, not, we're not going for that. But yeah. yeah, so the mental health road, you know, when we do truly mess up and we all do, like we mm-hmm. all do in in my, as a white woman on my work to try to be anti-racist, I mess up and don't always get that correct. And it's a constant learning of things. Um, you know, we all mess up in every part of our day. When we're driving down the road, we all mess up on a, on a, on a regular basis. And so when someone sees us mess up and brings that to our attention, the natural reaction for anything is to get defensive, you know, to kind of put up a wall and, and that's interesting. I'm not sure why that's the first, so often the first reaction, but we, we want to either deny that that happened or explain ourselves away and, or justify why we did or why we're not wrong. And so I think that that's true both in those times when perhaps there's been a legitimate thing worth calling out and when someone's spreading misinformation or flat out lies about you, 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 you the, the, the defensiveness level is probably different in those cases, but still, I think that's a normal mental health reaction at that point. And what I see a lot and what I try to actually work with my students on in diversity class and in some of the trainings around social justice issues is 
when you notice that defensiveness to sit with it. And then where we see it happening, I think with lots of public figures is where the concern becomes more on justifying what we did rather than recognizing how we may have hurt someone. Mm-hmm. So that kind of gets turned inward. You look like you want to say something about No, that. I was going to say like, that's the key definition between, or the difference I would say between cancel culture and accountability culture. Mm. It's, you know, cancel, if you're focused on defending yourself or if the focus is on the, the purse on the action, then I think it's accountability. If the focus is on the person, then that seems a cancely culture. Interesting. I, I can see that. I, I, yeah, I can see that. And I'm thinking more too of the, the person being quote canceled or what I would prefer to say held accountable in the instances like the Chris Harrison thing. And this, when there's a digging in of you're not going to get rid of me, you're just trying to get, you're just trying to get rid of me for whatever reason versus, Mm -hmm. Oh, maybe there's something I can learn here. And maybe I can look at how I treated someone else or how, even if I didn't mean to hurt someone, how the impact hurt someone. Right. So that's, yeah, I think that becomes accountability culture when that's generally what people who call out are looking for. Now, not always, as we said, we know there are some people who are just kind of like, and one strike and you're out and we never want to see you again. And, and I think we're going to talk a lot about that in our religion road and maybe in, maybe even here on our mental health road, you know, there's this feeling of being misunderstood of Mm -hmm. that people don't know me. And, you know, I think you and I talked before before we started recording about just like, we're bigger than the worst thing we've ever done. Yes. So yes, yes. That will definitely come up on the religion road too. But like, yeah, I sometimes call myself the president of the overthinkers club um, because I overthink and analyze myself a lot and think about the ways in which I am sometimes a more public personality than I would like to be. And the ways in which my words and my actions are seen and interpreted by others. And I don't have control over that all the time, but the ways in which I would be devastated. Like, trust me when I say that I think when I know that I have said something wrong or done something wrong or messed up, I cannot stop thinking about it. And the thought that that thing that I have said wrong or done wrong is what I'm known for mm. is yeah. heartbreaking. And again, that's like, I welcome the opportunity to be held accountable to do better. And I hope it doesn't result in like a, our, our relationship has to be done. And I struggled. I realized this is a thing that's easy to say and very hard to do. I imagine that there are times when for someone's mental health, they do need to end the relationship. They do need to not be a part of that anymore. So, you know, in the ways in which it might be a mental health issue for someone who has experienced child sexual abuse to hear Michael Jackson music, regardless of how the accusations came out or what we know about them or the truth or how they've been expounded in the media or, you know, fill in the blank. But for whatever reason, if that's a trigger for them, if that's a something that causes them harm, that's important thing to be aware of. And that's just being a good human of practicing, like thinking about 
how you, yeah. what you say and what you do and the music you listen to and the media you consume and the places you shop and where you spend your money like that impacts people. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a mental health road that is really important to discuss is the ways that some of these things that people are again, getting quote unquote canceled, or as I would say again, held accountable for can be really triggering to people. You know, I've, you know, Kevin Spacey is someone who has, I think probably has been canceled. Like I haven't heard anything that he's done since then canceled publicly. And I've heard some colleagues who have struggled with, they've historically used some scenes from movies that Kevin Spacey was in to demonstrate things in a classroom about relationships or communication. Like they've, they really felt like this movie captured something and have gotten feedback from students that it's very triggering for me to see Kevin Spacey, because if you're not aware who Kevin Spacey is, he's an actor that was accused of sexual abuse um, and using his power in ways to sexually abuse others, I think is probably the best way to sum that up. And so people who've experienced sexual trauma have can be very triggered to seeing him, even if it's in another role in a movie that has nothing to do with that awful thing that he did. And so, yeah, and where, yeah, hearing music from Michael Jackson could be very triggering to someone. And, right. yeah. and you, I remember back in the, in the 2016 election, when a lot of things came out about um, when at the time, President Trump had the, the e-interview where he had talked about basically sexual assault kinds of things. And there was lots of women who were very triggered by all of the media around that and just the conversations that were being had around sexual assault. And yeah. so, so when these things that people are being held accountable, accountable for all, all over the news and all over social media and all over everywhere, and it's very hard to escape them, then there, that's another just way that people can be impacted mental health, not even people who are necessarily being canceled or doing the counsel- canceling. Right. Yeah. Well, I just, I think about the Me Too movement and the importance of, of people being held accountable and the balance between, you know, misinformation being spread in one sense and people being held accountable for, for assault, which um, there are a lot of people who felt like that movement gave them a voice and helped them to feel seen in a way in which they had not feel felt seen in a very long time. And there's a Apple TV show called The Morning Show that digs pretty deep into the experience of, you know, morning a particular morning show host being accused and how everything happened and all the different characters. And uh, it's they sort of pit them against each other. The idea of the Me Too movement, Me Too movement being held accountable and cancel culture, and the ways in which if it hadn't been, you know, if all these women weren't coming forward, then we wouldn't have to deal with all these men being canceled. Like these women should all shut up, and we wouldn't have to deal with it anymore. Which, yeah, and the focus that becomes on it being the women's fault versus the action of the man, right? Because I imagine I haven't seen that show, but I imagine that it's based a lot on the Matt Lauer situation and that's another person who has essentially gone away and mm-hmm. we have not heard from him again and I I don't know what Matt Lauer would say but I imagine it at some point it's crossed his mind that he's 
a victim of cancel culture, or I know some people have said that, that he's a victim of cancel culture. And so I think that that critique of cancel culture then, yes, can, I think it's possible to have compassion that there's more to Matt Lauer than that, but also recognize he doesn't need to be in that position anymore where he carries great power and where he can still influence people. It's, it's interesting to me, and I'm, I might be jumping to the drive who's driving segment, but it's interesting to me, the coded language that we, that we use in so many situations and the ways that we hear certain things, but I almost start to associate the, you know, referring to cancel culture is a, a, a term of privilege. And it tends to be used in my experience by white people and Mm -hmm. by people in power and people in privilege and, uh, you know, being held accountable and asking for things tends to be something that's, we don't say someone who does not have power, someone who might not be white, someone who might be the victim of abuse does not say you're canceled. In my experience, they say, I want to hold you accountable to this. So that's an interesting thing to me, the way that coded language, like when I hear cancel culture, I sort of tune in to say like, okay, I'm listening for this particular kind of language because it seems like there's a judgment in, in the use of that phrase. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think what I was thinking as I was hearing you say that is just people in privilege are not used to being questioned are not used to having to answer to things. Yeah. And so, so people, you know, in positions of privilege are not used to, to being held accountable, not used to having to answer questions, not used to having to, to exam, be scrutinized. And Mm. so even when they've actually done the thing that people are calling out, there certainly can be that idea of, I don't, I shouldn't, why am I having to answer for this? How dare you Mm. question me? So I think we definitely see that from people who are not, those are the people who say these woke people, the woke police need to leave me alone. And this is not a big deal. And there's, those are not the people who are sitting with their defensiveness and trying to understand the impact that they had and they can get there, but that is, you know, when there's something that's truly happened and yet there's a, how dare you question me reaction that I think then kind of creates this cycle of like, you're not listening. So now I do want to cancel you because I don't want to talk to you anymore, which might make the person dig in more, which might make other people go after them more. So I think it certainly can become a cycle. Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, when we think about the mental health road, just a different road with this, it can create for people in the public eye, this paralyzing kind of phenomenon of, of worrying they're going to say the wrong thing and just paralyzed to speak or take a stand on something for fear of being cultured, for fear of saying the wrong thing. So, you know, I think that's definitely there. There's just systemically and from a societal perspective, what it carries with it is this idea of all good or all bad. Like it's not that people are better or there's more to people than the worst thing they've done. It's this idea of like, oh, look at this good person. Oh, they messed up. Now they're all bad. Right. So, so I think that's a dangerous lens for anyone to look at life or look at anyone. It creates a division of you're on the right side or you're the wrong side. You've either canceled Dr. Seuss and you're 
you know, squelching childhood dreams, or you're on the right side of trying to continue creative freedom. I don't know what that side would say, but so it it creates these divisions of there's a right side and wrong side. Again, it creates, and I think we do have to look at this phenomenon of when are we sending the message that someone's irredeemable, which might lead into that religion road. I don't know if you want to pick up there, Jill, that that seems to work something. That's well, you know, you use the word redeem. That's a good, that's a good transition to the religion road. I mean, I want to be cautious on the religion road because it could sound a lot in talking about things like forgiveness and talking about how no one is irredeemable and how we are not the worst thing that we've ever done. That does not mean that we are not invited by God to hold one another accountable. Amen. I don't think it means that we are not invited as people of faith to love one another in a way that shows love to all people. There's a self-awareness that we practice. There's a thinking about others. Go back to the listening to Michael Jackson music. And I don't have all the answers. Um, Another example of of sort of a billboard is um, there is a a little bit more niche example might not be the most uh, pop culture thing, but David Haas is someone who writes hymns. Hymns are pieces of music sung in worship services and happened to write some of my most favorite hymns. And in May of 2020, end of May of 2020, it came out that he was part of a large sexual abuse scandal. Hmm. And I am so sad. It sucks. Oh, it sucks. There are a lot of ways in which, so he was accused of sexual assault, sexual misconduct and sexual assault in, on May 29th of 2020. And by the very beginning of June, uh, publishers were pulling his hymns, uh, even in the fall a, a mainline denomination, the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, announced both the ELCA and 1517 Media Augsburg Fortress have taken steps to con- discontinue suggesting hymns by Haas in worship planning resources for the church and amend existing resources currently available online and have no plans to include his works in future resources and publications. There's another website that I pulled up that literally was, here are the hymns that we are putting together to replace the songs of David Haas. And I am speaking from a place place of privilege. I am so sad. There are, his hymns are beautiful. And so there's this concept of the art versus the artist. I would like to believe that we are not the worst thing that we've ever done. And I would like to believe that the Holy Spirit is capable of working through people who are not all good because none of us are all good because none of us are perfect. Thanks be to God for that. That's a lot of pressure to be perfect. (laughs) And, you know, I really wrestle with the idea. One of the hymns that he writes, the last line of the hymn is, is God singing to God's people. I love you and you are mine, which is so beautiful to me. And in our congregation, we have stopped using those hymns. 
and it has been a conscious choice between myself and our music director and our music staff. And it's still, it's still something that I grieve. And I, again, hear the privilege in my voice of saying that, but I think there's this, there's this tension that we have to hold. And I think it's important for us as people of faith to ask the question, does my listening to Michael Jackson music, is that okay? You know, because does it say, does, does my listening to Michael Jackson music mean that I approve of child sexual misconduct? Does my singing of David Haas's hymns mean that I approve of sexual misconduct? Like I, let me say for the record, I do not approve of sexual misconduct. Of course not. There's ways in which we do that thing that you were talking about. We cancel someone. We, we say you've done this thing that is irredeemable that we cannot get past. And that is one of the ways in which we take the power away from God. Speaking from a Christian perspective, Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So we don't have to be cheap about the grace that comes from our salvation that we receive. We don't, you know, we don't just go around sinning like there's nothing that we can do because God loves us. And that's not the life that we should strive to live. I don't think anyone would say and, and also if we say, you know, you're irredeemable, we can't support you anymore. You know, where, where is God in that? Where, you know, is, is God not capable of speaking through anyone? Is God not capable of working through things with anyone? Yeah. And, you know, as I hear you talk about that, it's, it is the art and the artist and they're both important to God, I feel like, and God cares about the artist and God cares about the art. And, you know, and I understand that decision to not use those hymns anymore, or that someone might choose not to listen to Michael Jackson music anymore. But I also go, I I think there's an argument to be made that God can still work through those hymns, you know, that God can still, that those are still meaningful to you and that those create a spiritual connection for you. And I think we're here to say, roadies, we don't know the answer to this, that there's no clear, does the artist when think when horror when horrific things come out about the artist does the art go away and you know we're we're actually going to talk about this more from a religious leader perspective when we have Dan Koch on the podcast in a few weeks and we talk about the follow up to my interview on his podcast with Ravi Zacharias and all the yeah. people who have been disappointed by what he does you know does that take away their experience of god and and so i think maybe i'm hearing that too with this him person. And it's just, I think it's just hard to think about if does the art have to go away because the artist is no longer acceptable for some really good reasons, it sounds like. And what does it take to, to, can that artist continue writing hymns? You know, I mean, it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard stuff. Right. Right. Well, and I just, I, I, I know we've talked about this in other episodes too, but I think about the ways in which particularly in in religious settings when art is created with the intention of pointing to god does the art still point to god like can we focus on the art without focusing on the person and 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 there's different answers i think to that there may be people who can't listen to these beautiful you know these these particular hymns i should not keep calling them beautiful hymns these hymns that can't separate the art from the artist that when they hear it, it's too much of a reminder of someone who participated in sexual misconduct and was 
went for a long time without being held accountable. I think that's another piece to bring in too, that there are a lot of times when these accusations come out are things that happened a long time ago, and it's taken a long time for them to be held accountable for those things. And so justice delayed is justice denied is a quote by some fabulous civil rights leader. I believe it's Martin Luther King Jr. So justice delayed is justice denied, thinking about the ways in which people do wait a long time for people to be held accountable and to find justice in that accountability. So justice is something that got, you know, what does the Lord require of us? Micah 6, 8 asks, but to do justice and love mercy and walk humbly with God. And so all of the ways in which we try to embody what God requires of us by doing the work of justice, which involves some accountability. So there's this balance there, but if we can't forgive and not forgiveness in the same way, we don't want to use cheap grace oh, Jesus died for my sins. Go, I can do whatever I want. That is cheap grace. We don't want to say, well, I can just, you know, Jesus says forgive 70 times seven, which is supposed to be like the most, you know, biggest number ever. So I'm just going to do whatever I want and I'll. We don't want to engage in spiritual bypass where we say, just forgive them and everything's fine. And we move on and we pretend like this didn't happen Right. when things really happened, you know, and, and I think it's fine. I think it's fine for you to sing those hymns, you know, when you want to do that, for you to still listen to those hymns and get comfort for those hymns. I think it's fine for music ministers to make the decision not to use those hymns anymore too. I think, I don't think it makes you a bad person because you still love those hymns and you still love the art and you still love the creation. So what would you say, Paul, are some of the roadblocks that we get into when we're driving through these intersections of cancel culture and accountability culture and everything that's going on. You know, I mean, I think we use the term weaponized earlier. And so I just think anytime we weaponize a concept, that's problematic. So if we're weaponized, if we're airing things in public in order to take someone down, mm-hmm. I think that's that's definitely a way that religion can be used erroneously. Yes. Um, but I think there's also this supremacy culture and, you know, maybe supremacy is not the best word, but maybe it's like a high horse culture, you know, where people get on their high horse on, on all sides of this, where instead of accountability culture, it becomes that I'm better than you. And I'm going to shame you and tell you how wrong you are and just continue to beat you up in public until you admit you're wrong. You know, that high horse culture or that I'm over you. So supremacy culture in that way is also a way that, you know, that religion can be used on both sides of that. And it can also be used from the, you're not better than me and it's okay what I did. And who are you to tell me what to do? And so that, that high horse can happen all along that continuum too. Yeah. I mean, bullying definitely seems like a thing too, where the, the ways in which, again, because this is a lot of an, an online format, because a lot of this happens over the internet and the ways in which we consume our culture and people are different from behind a screen and behind their social media accounts than they might be. And people do get bullied. And there is the whole, uh, you know, I, I'm going to say what I want. Like, I'm sick of having to worry about political correctness. Like, I don't want to be PC anymore, which is, I think, sometimes said as like, I don't want to care about other people. <laughs> well, I mean, um, even the whole term social justice warrior, you know, there's 
the battle, the battlefield imagery there. And I understand it because justice has been denied for so long, delayed for so long. And people who really feel like they have to go at something in order to get attention and to overcome it. I respect that and agree with that. And a metaphor that feels a little better to me rather than thinking about riding into battle would be like an invitation to a table to sit down and, and talk. And, but that's not, but I also am glad there are people willing to ride into battle and, and have, and really kind of make some noise (laughs) about some of these things too. And I'm coming from a place of privilege that usually when I'm saying, let's sit down and have a conversation about that, it's not necessarily something that's impacting me. It's mm-hmm. something that I want to try to help someone understand, but if it, if it were something definitely impacting me, I might be getting on my horse and riding into battle a little faster. Sure. Yeah. And I, we've already talked a little bit about this, but just the, the prevalence of misinformation. And I think that that is, is a roadblock and the ways in which it gets used and, and the speed, you know, we're in this 24 hour news cycle. And so the speed with which people jump to conclusions and there is an accusation and very little work is done to verify that accusation or intentionality is put behind it. And it's just like, Oh, okay, we're done. Yeah. I think that's, that's really important to talk about that 24 hour news cycle and why this is something that is a relatively new phenomenon, even though people have been canceled on the playground from the beginning of time, shoved out of friend groups. Um, And, you know, this has happened, but this happening on this really public scale, 24 hour news channels have to have news to fill up for 24 hours. Yeah. So they're talking about things a lot more and a lot longer than they would be um, for sure. You know, another roadblock I think is when people kind of bow up and get this idea of like, I shouldn't have to worry all the time that I'm going to get canceled. I don't want to have to be careful with everything I say. And I think it's important to point out that People in marginalized groups spend their whole life being careful with what they say or being careful with who they are. You know, Emma talked about code switching in our episode last week. And so a lot of this is coming from people who've never had to experience discomfort before now having to perhaps use a filter or monitor themselves or think about the impact they have because now they might get called out on something, whereas they weren't having to do that before. Right. Mm Mm-hmm. (laughs) <laughs> I, I think what well, I think I, I what I'm starting to think about, and I want to save this for when we have a conversation with Dan, but the idea of toxic loyalty and the ways in which that can also be a, a roadblock. If someone is getting canceled and there's toxic loyalty for that particular public figure, there's an unwillingness to believe that what this person did was wrong. This is a these are lies. None of this is true. It's all wrong. And, and what gets toxic about the loyalty is we're not even willing to hold this person accountable. They're yeah. just, they, they're, they just they're, need they're to- on a pedestal. They're staying on the pedestal. Right. No matter what. So uh, yeah. And what you said earlier about just being willing to examine a story and figure out if this is false information. I mean, look at how quickly misinformation about Dr. Seuss spread around. Wow. And, and we know that this is an intentional thing that, certain groups are doing, trying to plant misinformation different places. Um, you know, we have evidence of this happening in elections. And so, right. so just taking a few minutes and Googling something before you share it and seeing what are some different perspectives about it. You know, Dr. Seuss was not being canceled, but right. how, but 
how quickly did we think that was happening? Yeah. Yes. Any other roadblocks for you? Not all of the the same thing. And just to emphasize what you said too about what Emma enlightened us to and and shared with us about the ways in which there are marginalized people and people of color and black and indigenous people who are constantly having to do the work of thinking about what they're saying and thinking about how they look and what they're doing. And they are not public figure or not thinking about whether or not they're being canceled. There are times when I think people of color are worried about whether they will live. Right. And be so able to those breathe. of us with privilege can spend a little time thinking through what we're saying and experiencing some discomfort. If we say the wrong thing, Yeah. Um, what are the results of that? Yeah. So I think that, that we both had a little road ragey moment there. So we got into our road rage section a little bit too. <laughs> yes. Well, and yes, we, and we talked about this a little bit before, I think we hit, hit play to start recording, but like, shouldn't, shouldn't we as people of faith and followers of Jesus be the ones who were sort of leading in caring for one another and being thoughtful and serving one another and maybe holding people accountable and saying, let's consider this another way. Like, I don't necessarily think that we as Christians should be the ones trying to cancel everybody and everything, but don't we have the opportunity to hold one another accountable? Like your fav- one of your favorite phrases, speaking the truth in love. Like just thinking that and like, we say that almost every episode that we are called to do that. And I, I, all parts of that I think are so important to speak the truth, to speak the truth and to do it in a loving way that, that so, you know, even just thinking back to the bachelor, if I want to go on the road rage a little bit. So this woman who was the one who was interviewing Chris Harrison, when he said the racist things that he said, this black woman who then received so much hate and racism directed towards her, she talked about, I heard several interviews she did. Her name's Rachel Lindsay. She's on a podcast called Higher Learning, which is really a great podcast that can that would be a good resource for you to go listen to. But she talked about how she would receive these awful direct messages in from her Instagram. And often she would click on the profile and how often these people have Bible verses in their profiles, how often like they weren't just claiming to be Christians. This was front and center and who they said they are in their Instagram profile. And then they're coming in and directing hate to her and accusing her of trying to cancel Chris Harrison. And it just how often Christians are causing problems with this whole phenomenon in so many ways. Sure. Well, and the ways in which like we do have to think about who are we speaking for and who are we speaking as? Like again, to go back to the ways in which we as white people do not have to worry all of the time that we are speaking on behalf of our gender or our race or things like that. I often will train our leadership when we elect new leaders to in our church, we call it the session, you know, the elders who, who govern the church. When I say to them, you know, you do have to be conscious about what you put on social media because sometimes they will see you say the example I always use, I don't, I don't like fish. I don't like to eat fish. I mean, I think fish are lovely creatures of God. I just don't want to eat it. And if I post, I don't like fish on social media, there are people who sometimes will look at that and say, well, does that mean that all women who are ministers don't like fish? 
Or does that mean that all of the people who go to the church where this woman is the pastor don't like fish? Or does that mean that all women don't like fish? Or does that mean that that is a kind of a trite example about my dining preferences? But but it it matters because we all have a number of roles that we play. And you know, like we've talked before about sometimes we're talking with our pastor hat on and sometimes with our mental health hat on and, you know, the ways that we hold our boundaries. But I say to teenagers often, like social media is forever. Like if you put something on the internet, someone will be able to find it. And we should take caution with that. Like there just needs to be another layer of caution and protection with what we say and how we behave, because that's something that does not get lost. That doesn't, you, you don't forget about that. Yes, that you might be held accountable for at some point in the future. And so, but I think that that takes us into the U-turns as well, because I think that is something we should be doing, that we should be speaking to each other, the truth and love. And, you know, we've said in earlier episodes, if you are going to a church where you are not allowed to question the leader, where you're not allowed to question the things that are happening, how that's problematic and how Mm -hmm. that, that. You should question not being able to question those kind of things. And so, you know, I think we, we have a responsibility to hold each other accountable. And we, and, and when we see injustice around us, we have a responsibility to do it, but not in this. If I go back to my aunt again, you know, my, my ex that as a Christian, I have to believe that God loves everyone. And that, as you said, that Jesus died for everyone and that it is not up to me to cancel someone. It's not up to me to say that when someone is irredeemable. And so I don't think anyone is Mm -hmm. unable to be redeemed. And Mm -hmm. so, but again, that doesn't mean that you have to keep people in your life. And that doesn't mean people have to stay in a position of power when they have abused that power or use that power to abuse others. So there's, again, behavior should not be allowed to continue and it's okay to call out behavior and it's fine in a way to still dig through to the person and see how we can continue to value the person and help the person perhaps to continue to work on things as we all are. Yeah, exactly. Well, and it encourages the opportunity to be in relationship. Yeah. The the internet doesn't always, is not the best conduit for relationship all of the time because it's not a, a mutual back and forth all of the time in which you can read, you know, the to- tone of someone's voice or interpret their um, facial expressions or things like that. So the, the ways in which it's complicated, this is complicated and there are lots of layers to how we interpret this. And so a big U-turn is just being gracious about how we navigate all of the layers of this and taking time before you post, taking time before you speak, taking time to give people the benefit of the doubt or taking time to do your research and you yeah. know dig a little bit deeper. So that's a big U-turn for me is time. Take the time to do the work. Yeah. And your statement about relationship, I think is so important. I've started hearing the phrase, instead of call out, call in. So kind of call someone in to have a conversation, call someone into a relationship. Isn't it beautiful? And I, I really, you're not supposed to call in someone. You don't have to call in your abuser. I'm not saying that at all. We want to be super clear about that, but I do think the church as a whole, we have a responsibility to call in those who 
are who need to be called out, you know, but and to call them out in a way that invites them in to have those discussions and to create a relationship and to help someone understand. You know, I often say in conflict, the seek first to understand. So mm-hmm. understand where someone's coming from, and then that can open up a conversation about how it was perceived or how that might've been hurtful or harmful. Um, So for those of us who have the privilege and the energy and the relationships and the time to do that, I think God does call us to do that. Yeah. The two, the two words that come to mind are invitational and intentional. We want to be invitational towards accountability. We want to be intentional towards accountability. We want to be invitational and intentional about the information we put out and the information that we take in. We want to be invitational and intentional about our relationships and how we interact with others. And that I think is God-like. I think that's, that's honoring God. So if we, if we look at this Chris Harrison thread that I've pulled throughout this whole episode, like I, I don't want to see, I'll just say for, for my part, I don't want to see Chris Harrison back as host of the bachelor, because I think he's got such a position of power there. And there's so many contestants of color who may not feel safe with him being the face of the franchise, at least until he's really shown that he understands the privilege from which he was speaking. But I also think that doesn't mean I'm saying I don't want Chris Harrison to ever have a job again, or that I think Chris Harrison can't do better and perhaps even down the road, come back. But, but I think that, so that's kind of that relational invitational kind of nuance there. Another U-turn We've touched on it, but just I'm going to be really clear on it is because churches do so often fall into this, you did something wrong and you're out. So Mm -hmm. just again, to have that, there's more to us than the worst thing we've ever done. God died for all of our sins, not just one of our sins. I am, I will say, and I might be jumping ahead. I would be fascinated to hear from roadies who have different thoughts about this Um, Someone recently shared with, um, I think shared with you or maybe shared with both of us that um, they noticed that we tend to agree on everything. (laughs) And shout out to my sister-in-law who actually said, I would like for y'all to do an episode where you don't agree on everything. Yeah. Well, I would be fascinating. Like that's one of the things we love about getting feedback is because we do know that there are other perspectives out there. And and I know I'm talking from a pr- place of privilege about a number of things, but I want to hear about other examples of the way that you roadies are interacting with this idea of counter, um, not counterculture, cancel culture and yeah. accountability culture. Like one of the things that I am inclined to say, and the reason why I just did that big plug for more information is I will often share with people when they are going through a difficult time that they need to be gracious with themselves. And that when we refuse to be gracious with ourselves, we're trying to undermine God because God is abundant in the grace that God gives us. And, and maybe that's a slightly manipulative way of trying to help someone think about, you know, loving themselves and being gracious to themselves in another way. And so I want to be cautious in the ways in which we talk about thinking about that with other people. Like we want people to be gracious to one another and to allow for us not to be identified as the worst thing that we've ever done or the mistakes that we've made or the things in our past that we're not proud of and trust that God pours grace out on that person and that there's also room for 
that person not to be a public figure and to to wrestle with the grace that God gives them not in a position of power or not in a public position. Like if we haven't said it enough already, this is such a complicated thing. Yeah. And I would love to hear from our roadies who, if someone has felt like you've been canceled, what was that like? And, or if you're someone who's participated in calling someone out or how do you call someone out and speak the truth in love? Or do we even need to worry about the love part or do we just need to speak the truth? Just kind of what are y'all's experiences with this? Because we would love to have another episode coming up where we look at our messages from our listeners and kind of share some of those and revisit some of these ideas. Cause we've definitely found that every episode we do, there's not enough time to talk about all the right. stuff that we need. So we would love to revisit this with some impact, with some feedback from all of you. Yeah. So we've been talking about this for a while. So Paula, if you were to put it in park, final thoughts, how would you want folks to leave this episode? You know, I, I would lead with just as we started out this looking at all the different definitions of cancel culture, just first of all, it's never okay to spread misinformation. I think that should be clear, but I just want to say that clearly. It's never okay to, to weaponize any kind of pull you might have to do something publicly to someone else. And I would also say, though, that this is a great opportunity, one of the, for all the ways that social media divides us, it also gives us opportunities. And if we can look for opportunities to dig beneath the surface, to have some nuanced conversations, I'm kind of stuck on this calling people in instead of calling people out Mm -hmm. and look for ways that we could really recognize that, yes, we need to hold people accountable and we need to do the work that comes after that. Like, it's not just that you're wrong, it's that you're wrong and let's talk about this. What comes after the you're wrong? That's maybe where I'm putting in park and kind of think about that a little bit. How about you? What's your putting in park? I think it is uh, just kind of di- going back to the U-turn that I talked about of just time, the time that we take to slow down our responses, to slow down before we post, to slow down before we speak or think or react. That is really important. And as we've said that this is complicated and there's a lot, a lot of care that needs to be taken in how we wrestle with this particular issue. If I could add one more thing to my park, because I absolutely agree with that. And I just keep coming back to this idea of we're bigger than the worst thing we've ever done. Mm-hmm. And just to encourage us all to remember how that applies to ourselves, but how that applies to other people and other concepts and to think about what is someone's reputation in your school, in your work, in whatever, and how can we intentionally look beyond that? Mm-hmm. How can we intentionally look for, yes, there's this and that's one piece of a really large puzzle. What are those other pieces to that puzzle that might be there? But yeah, this has been a really fascinating conversation. It's not been a real satisfying conversation because yeah, we didn't I, land anywhere. <laughs> we didn't land anywhere. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay. I guess, I mean, that happens in a lot of ours, but I feel like we've, this one's just, there's so many, well, there's so many layers here. Right. And to reiterate this, there are many ways in which this is an issue of justice and we are talking about it from a place of privilege. So there are blind spots. I would like to think that they are unintentional blind spots, but please call us in to use your beautiful phrasing of that. And we recognize that there's more conversation to be had. So roadies, we welcome the opportunity to be in conversation with you. There's lots of ways 
that you can interact with us. You can comment on our episodes on our website, sacredintersectionspodcast.com. You can comment on our social media posts. So you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Sacred Intersections Podcast. You can find us at Twitter at Sacred Pod. We would love you so much if you shared some of our social media posts on your social media and help spread the word. We would really love it if you left an Apple review. That would be just amazing. And yeah, we would love to hear from you, whatever response you might have. Definitely. Yeah. In another couple of weeks, we're going to do another planning session where we plan out a handful of new episodes. So if there's things that you would really love to hear about or topics you'd like for us to discuss, please let us know. We'd love to be in conversation with you as we consider those things. But we have said it before and we will say it again. We really like you. We really like you. So have safe travels through all your sacred intersections throughout the week.